God, thank you for just our prayers, Lord, that we can keep coming to you and keep asking. Just as Zach prayed, Lord, I want to cry out too with my own voice and say, Lord, bless your word, God. May your spirit be here and speak to us. And thank you, God, for tonight. Thank you for bringing us here, Lord, and for this special time we have with you in worship, in your word, just sitting before your feet, listening to you. And thank you, God, that you have made the way and that, Lord, that that you never stop reaching out to us, God, and your forgiveness is there. And Jesus, you paid it all. And just all the songs are just ministering to my heart so much, Lord. And so... We ask with all that in mind that you would bless your word as we now open it, study it, and we ask a special touch upon it. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Let me ask you a question. Actually, actually a couple questions. Number one, have you heard of an Ethiopian goat herder named Kaldi? You ever heard about him? I haven't. We should know his name. Because in 1671, he is said to be the first person who discovered coffee. Amazing, yeah? 1671 back then. How about this? Have you ever heard of Luigi Bazar? Nope, I haven't either. You should. We should get to know his name. For in 1901, his love for coffee had him invent a simple idea of making coffee coffee faster with steam pressure and he invented the espresso how do you like that one more have you ever heard of an italian monk named marco de, de aviano well we should know his name because actually the story goes that this capuchin monk invented guess what Cappuccino, that's right, easy one there, by adding milk to, you know what, the espresso. Crazy, right? Well, these unknown people certainly have had a great impact on the world, and they changed the world. I mean, for some of you, what would life be without coffee, yeah? Your espresso, your cappuccino and all. I like something someone said, you can't buy happiness, but you can buy coffee, and that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> that, that was pretty funny. Well, today in our study in the book of Acts, we learn about this servant of God named Stephen. Now, little known is, you know, there's a little known about him, and maybe you're coming into the book of Acts, and you don't know that much about him other than, well, I've heard he's the first martyr. And he was. He was the first martyr, the first believer that was martyred for his faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, there's more about him that we can learn. And we're going to see with him, with him, he may be unknown, but not unimportant. And that's the title of our message tonight. Unknown, but not unimportant and I like that it's like these guys who invented coffee espresso cappuccino we don't really know them but how they affected the world well same as Stephen Stephen affected much there back in the early times with the early church so he may be unknown but not unimportant we're going to be studying Acts chapter 6 from verse 8 through 15 tonight 8 through 15 we're going to finish up this chapter and we're going to see three things here, and this is our points also. Number one, his powerful character. Number two, his powerful comprehension. And number three, his powerful 
countenance. So those are the points. This is what we're going to find in our passage tonight. Well, let's begin here with number one, his powerful character. His powerful character. And here we're just going to look at verse 8. We're going to cover verse 8 in this first section. So Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it reads, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. We'll stop there. Once again, we begin with Luke, the writer. He's he's putting down this account for us. He's the one who wrote this whole book, right? And so Luke, he says, and Stephen. Now, with that word, and, we're continuing on the story from what we saw last week. You remember seven men were chosen, right, to run basically the business, the ministry side of the church. When the Hellenists, right, the, the Greek-speaking Jews, the widows, uh, their widows were being neglected. Uh, they weren't getting the offering and the provision for their living. And so the apostles prayed, decided that, hey, we're going to choose seven men. Um, we're going to come and prove of them and all and everything. And so seven was chosen, and Stephen was one of them. Matter of fact, he was first on the list. So if you remember, that brought us really into this account of Stephen, this story of Stephen. And we're going to be talking about Stephen in the rest of this chapter and into the next chapter. And he is a a, a major guy here. And so he was one of those, remember last week's title was looking for a few good men. So here's Stephen. Luke is starting to focus in on him. And Stephen is important. For in the next chapter, he's going to be sharing Jesus and then he's going to be martyred. But it's not just that. What's going on is what God does here is going to be amazing. How he uses what men meant for evil, like his martyrdom, God is going to use to bring about good. And this is why he is focused on here. This is why Stephen is talked about here uh, in the book of Luke. Don't get confused. I'm talking about Stephen in the Bible, not Pastor Stephen back there. But yeah, sorry, you know. (laughs) I don't know. Are they the same? No. But anyway, (laughs) but but listen to this now. Stephen back then, Stephen is the transition of God's work. That's what I want you to see. When with his stoning at the end of chapter seven. The church was actually driven out of Jerusalem because of the persecution that had built up. There was an all-out hostility to to the believers. It had broken out. Before them, right, there was a lot of Jewish people getting saved. There was this interest. There's this excitement, right? Thousands and thousands. I was talking about could be 10, 15, some commentators 20, even 25, 30,000. So there's a lot of excitement, a lot of movement of God. But now with Stephen, we're going to see, and we're going to see that next time in in the next chapter, he's going to be martyred. And it's going to be really the beginning of this persecution that's breaking out in Jerusalem. But as the believers begin to flee, you know what happens? They end up taking the gospel out. Out from what? Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, to what? To the ends of the earth. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit come, you will take yeah, the, the gospel. You will be witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So, Stephen is that transition here. Stephen 
when he gets martyred and persecution comes, that's the catalyst to bring the gospel out from Jerusalem, out into the world. You see, it, it would seem that the city has been harvested. And, and generally speaking, that plenty of people have been coming to the Lord now. And the gospel now was to go out from Jerusalem. And so with the city of Jerusalem being harvested, the leaders, yeah, they, they didn't like that, right? So there started this hostility, this animus, a, animosity, right? And we've seen it in the past chapters with them taking apostles, putting them in prison, telling them not to preach Jesus. Matter of fact, in uh, uh, Acts, I think it was Acts um, 4 or 5, they, the leaders told the apostles, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." So the gospel has filled the whole city. So now it's time for the next phase. And that is Stephen. Stephen comes on the scene. Luke is focusing on how Stephen bridges the gap here. We also see in the book of Acts that we're going to go from focusing on Peter and then going into focusing on Paul. Peter was really the, the apostle to the Jews. But then Paul, we know, is the apostle to who? The Gentiles. So you see the gospel is spreading forth here. And Stephen's the guy in between. He bridges that gap. And so Stephen was an integral part of, the, uh, of all this happening. And think about this. Stephen was an integral part of Paul coming to the Lord. And we're going to see some of that next time too in chapter 7. So here's Stephen, this, 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 um, one of the seven that was chosen to be leaders in the church and help run ministry in the business of the church. And so here's Stephen, sort of a junction, sort of his death is going to be a trigger. And even though he, he had a brief life seemingly on this earth, his, his life affected a lot, it affected the book the believers and the Gentiles and the gospel going out. So, you see, he may be unknown, but he wasn't unimportant. And I believe that's why Luke is focusing on him here, and, and that's why we're focusing on him also. So it says here in verse 8, And Stephen, we find out that he was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, the word full here, it means uh, filled up, basically. Dominated with, you can say. It, it, it was like he, we saw in verse 5 earlier in this chapter that he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He was dominated by the Holy Spirit. He was dominated by his faith. He was controlled by the Spirit. And now here it's spoken of that he was full of grace. And I believe that and the result of his faith was this grace that that came. The result of his faith in Jesus Christ, he got saved and grace was given to him. The result of his strong faith and being full of faith that he was given much grace. God's favor was upon him and God used him in mighty ways. I think that that's the idea here. And then it says here that he was full of grace and he was also full of power. So if the result of his faith brought grace, then the result of the Holy Spirit brought power. So much so that he was doing great wonders and signs. And miracles were coming through him. It, 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 it was like he was one of the apostles, but he wasn't. Matter of fact, he, he, he's the first person and, 
and I, I think he wasn't just a, 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 another leader, but he was the first one other than the apostles that were performing miracles here. And why is that? Because of the Holy Spirit. So I attach faith. His, he was full of faith, so he was full of grace, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of power here in verse 8, coming from verse 5. And that power is how God used him to bring the testimony of Jesus Christ to the people. And I believe many people came to Jesus through him. And it's exactly what Jesus talked about, right? It wasn't just the apostles. Acts 1.8, for you will receive what? Power, right? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All right, so with Stephen, we see, you know what? His powerful character. This is who he was who he was, his powerful character, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power. His powerful character really affected many. And this is what Luke is putting out. This, this is an incredible guy here. This guy was full of the Spirit and wisdom. Matter of fact, uh, if you look up to that, uh, the apostles, right, they wanted um, to pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and wisdom and then verse 5 they chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit so he had the faith he has the wisdom he has the Holy Spirit and then here he has grace he has the power this was this was a, a, a great person this was a great saint we can say that God used in a mighty mighty way in an amazing way that oh we don't know that much about him, but just that tells us that, well, if we were living in that time, it would have been an amazing guy to see and be around with because he was full of the Spirit. His powerful character ended up affecting many. You know, uh, I remember I, I, uh, a pastor in the church I was on staff with, um, he, had, uh, he ran the ministry, to, uh, his, the Hispanics, a Hispanic ministry, and the one thing I always remember about him was his love. He was always loved. He always gave you this hug. He always shook your hand with two hands. He, he, he was just always loving uh, whenever you talked to him and loving on people and everything. And, and I felt like that's dominated him. We talk about Stephen them being dominated by grace and power, the Holy Spirit, wisdom, all that. You know, I think about this Hispanic pastor. He... He was dominated by love. He was full of love. But you know, in contrast, think about this. I mean, we can see Stephen with this kind of character. Some people are dominated with other things, aren't they? They're, they're, they may be filled up with rage. They may be filled up with anger. Or some people are filled up with sorrow. Some with joy. But here, Stephen is full of grace and power. This is his powerful character that affected many. Well, it should make us ask ourselves, what kind of character am I known for? If someone would look at you and write down, uh, Rick is full of, what would they write there? Would they put in godly characteristics or fleshly characteristics? I hope that I would see godly character you know that that would be evidence that would be coming out i want to have that i don't know about you but that's something we should go for we should be praying for 
that we would have lives in a way that would affect many and powerfully affect many. You could say Stephen here in the Bible is actually one of the greatest saints that ever lived. I mean, I have my heroes like Hudson Taylor or even Apostle Paul. We read a lot about him. But now that I really got into studying this passage, I would say Stephen is one of the greatest saints ever lived. And think about it this way, too. It's not as the world would count as great or even successful. I mean, I don't know how young he was, but we're going to see in the next chapter, he's going to be martyred. He didn't live that long. It's not in a way that the world may count success or greatness. Because with Stephen, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the position. It wasn't about the popularity. Or, or his attainments. But it was about what? He was filled with the Spirit. Yeah. He, he was full of grace. And God used him in a powerful way. It was about Jesus. It was about him uh, uh, sharing Jesus and his testimony of Jesus and, and witnessing Jesus. Stephen might have lived a short life, but it was a powerful life. And that's what I want to get into your hearts and minds tonight. That no matter what, we want to live that kind of life, don't we? We want to live in a way that we're affecting people around us. That we're not just living life to ourselves, but that people around us are being affected powerfully by our testimony, by the grace that's upon us, by the Holy Spirit that's moving through us, by, by our faith that we hold on to. Stephen might have lived a short life, but it was powerful. And this was his powerful character that affected many. I was thinking about Robert Murray McShane. He was a local pastor in Scotland. He died at the age of 29, but his life affected his whole town. Matter of fact, at his funeral, there's so many, there's lines of people. They say about 6,000 people attended just his funeral. And you know what? He is famously quoted as saying this. Live as to be missed. Live as to be missed. That's powerful. That's a life. That's living with the Holy Spirit in you. That's having that character. And really it is about Jesus. The character of Jesus. So here's Stephen. He's not, he may be unknown, but not unimportant because of his powerful character. Let's go to number two, his powerful comprehension. His powerful comprehension. Here, we're going to cover verses 9 through 14. So we're going to take a big chunk here. First of all, let's read verse 9 through 10. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those in Cilicia, Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. We'll pause right there. Now, some of these guys, these Jewish guys, came against Stephen, and we read here in verse 9, they they rose up at the end of verse 9 and disputed with Stephen. They had this debate. They're arguing with him. Now, who are these guys? Who's the, these freedmen and Cyrenian and, and Alexandrians and, and, and the like? Well, 
let's take the freedmen. They were a group of Jews that once a while back, they were taken as slaves out of Jerusalem into Rome. And then they were released. And they ended up staying there. And they ended up being, uh, you know, ending up, uh, that was their home, their freedmen. They came to be known as freedmen. They're just a group called that. They, they had their synagogue there. They studied the scriptures there. They worshiped God in their synagogue. Well, these guys were in Jerusalem because perhaps of one of the feasts, they were out there or they had traveled there. They were there and this group was there in, the, in their pilgrimage there to Jerusalem. And so here's these, quote unquote, everyone knew them, the freedmen, these, this group of guys from uh, Rome, and they were also Hellenists too. They were Greek-speaking Jews. Well, that includes the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians. The Cyrenians, they're, they're from uh, North Africa, like Northern Africa. The Alexandrians were from, if you guys know, Egypt, right? The city of Alexandria. Uh, Cilicia and Asia really talks about Asia Minor or where we uh, know as modern-day Turkey today. So these are these Jews who've been dispersed. They, they live over there. They, they raise their families there. They have their synagogues there. They're in town. They're in the city for some feasts. And these are Hellenists. They're the Greek-speaking Jews. So they come to Stephen, who, if you remember, he's a Hellenist too, right, with the Greek name. And, and he comes in. Uh, they come to him to debate him. What are they debating about? Well, they, these Jews came to Stephen to, to debate against him about Jesus Christ. Stephen's been preaching. Stephen's been like the apostles performing miracles to, to show that his testimony of Christ is true and that Jesus is still healing. Jesus is alive. All those things. Jesus is the Messiah. So here are these guys. They don't like Stephen. They're like the Jews in Jerusalem the Pharisees, the leadership who are against uh, Jesus Christ, against the apostles. And now here's Stephen, a powerful force now. God is using him. And he's, he's like the, 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 the main guy out there that God's using. God's grace is upon him. His power is upon him. So they're, gonna, they're going to him. Oh, here's this Hellenist Jew, Jew, right, like us. But he's talking about Jesus. No, cannot. No. So they go to stop him from preaching Jesus Christ. Remember how I talked that whenever God is doing a work, Satan is right there trying to stop it, right? Remember I talked about that, I think, last week, how when God starts using us or we step out to be used by God, well, th there's the enemy right there trying to stop us. I mean, funny how... Sunday, we talked about how to fight against the, de the devil. It, it's like our messages are like overlapping here and connecting and kind of together. But it's interesting. But remember, I talked about that last week, how whenever God works, yeah, the enemy is there trying to stop it. And we saw how in Acts chapter 4 and 5, he brought straight on persecution, right? Don't preach Jesus. Don't put in apostles in prison and everything. Well, that didn't work. And I talked about, so I tried corruption. Right? We saw in Acts 5, uh, Ananias and Sapphira trying to corrupt the church with their sin. When they bought the land and they gave the money, but held a, held a portion of the money for themselves and said, oh no, we sold it for this amount, when actually it was a lot more. And, and so you remember that, trying to corrupt the church. Well, that didn't work. And then what? 
there's the potential dissension, right? That <coughs> a potential split in the church with the Hellenist widows weren't getting their portion, and the Hellenist Jews were complaining. So we talked about that last time. Well, now we come back around. Satan comes back around to his first strategy, and it's straight on persecution. So he couldn't win that way, so he's going to come with a full frontal attack. And that's what's happening right here with Stephen. These guys, a different group of guys now, the Hellenist Jews from these areas, now they don't go after the apostles, but they go after Stephen, who is really preaching and sharing his testimony and doing miracles like one of the apostles. All right, so verse 10, it goes on, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. In other words, they couldn't win the debate. They were no match with Stephen with his wisdom, right, that God had given. And God gave Stephen great comprehension of the scriptures. I'm sure like, like the disciples, the Holy Spirit, and that's the Spirit here, had given Stephen, this, this wisdom, this knowledge, this comprehension of being able to see in the Old Testament Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the prophecies that were done by Jesus. He fulfilled those prophecies and they couldn't, they couldn't dispute that. They couldn't bring that down. They couldn't say it, was, it wasn't right because Stephen had this incredible comprehension of the Scripture. So they couldn't outwit him they couldn't trap him even i'm sure they're trying to do that they they, there was no arguing with him you know you know i was thinking about it's just like jesus you remember when um uh the pharisees were trying to trap jesus and and they're saying well who who do we you know should we pay taxes to caesar they're trying to trap him how well if jesus says, oh yeah we got to pay taxes then they're like oh you're against the jews and they could get the people against Jesus. But if, if he said, no, we shouldn't pay taxes, then they could get the Roman government and say, hey, he's preaching that you shouldn't pay taxes. He's going against Caesar. So they thought they had this perfect trap. But what did Jesus say? Well, he, he um, dismantled their trap by saying, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, right? And render to God the things that are God. So I could imagine now through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that Stephen would unravel whatever they're trying to say. That Stephen would um, just whatever trap or whatever they're trying to put down that they could not win. Because you know why? You cannot outwit God, right? You cannot. So look at verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men and said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him, brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses, verse 13, who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So here's these guys now, these Jews, this group of Jews. They're probably leaders in their synagogues too. They're these Hellenist leaders, these Jews. So since they couldn't win him by debate, 
in these meetings, they decided, you know what? To win him by slander. To get him by slander. So look at verse 11. They secretly instigated men. Uh, in other words, they, they persuaded men. That uh, instigated mean persuaded. And another commentator said basically they paid him off. They secretly bribed or paid off these guys to say these false things and slander Stephen. I don't know, that's nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, the same thing happened to Jesus, right? False witnesses were brought in. People were paid off to say things. So here they come in, and, and they, say, they accuse him. They slander him by saying, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now, perhaps Stephen argued, you know, the, that, hey, you guys, the law of Moses, you know, that's the old covenant. There's a new covenant now. The law of Moses, like Paul says, it, it, it was really given to show us what's right from wrong and to show us that we cannot live up to the law. We break the law. We sin. We need atonement for our sins. And, and it shows us our sin. But there's a new covenant in Jesus. He died on a cross for our sins and his blood forgives us of our sins. And now we can be saved through Christ. That's why the Messiah came. That's what was prophesied in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 53. So perhaps Stephen would argue that point. But notice what they're like twisting things, saying, oh, no, he's speaking blasphemous things. He's, he's speaking unholy things against Moses and even what God is saying here. And with that false testimony, then Stephen, we see in verse uh, 12, was uh, seized and brought in before the council. Now, the word seized meaning that forcefully he was taken, that he was, like some other passages say, he was dragged, you know, they were dragged off to prison. So he was forcefully taken, uh, arrested, temple police probably, and taken to the council. And who's the council? The Sanhedrin, right? The ruling power of Israel, the religious leaders of that time, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Scenes, all, all the different groups and the zealots and guys that made up of these, the elders of the synagogues, they were all there. He was brought before uh, the council there. And notice something also in verse 12. It says, and they stirred up the people. Not only it says the elders and scribes who were part of the council, the Sanhedrin, but I want you to take note that it says, and they stirred up the people. That sounds familiar too, right? With Jesus, right? They, they went around saying, no, Jesus isn't the Messiah. And then before Pilate, what were they saying? Crucify him, crucify him. What I think is interesting here is that they stirred up the people. And it's the first time that the people now, not just the religious leaders, but the people now in Jerusalem are becoming hostile against the believers so many were getting saved before everyone was excited wondering what's going on what's going on but now at this point the people in jerusalem are getting stirred up against the believers the apostles and here stephen too so this is part of this this what's going on here in jerusalem to where persecution is getting more heavy in the city itself now Jesus never said that he went against Moses, right? 
Jesus said he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the scriptures. Well, I think Stephen was saying the same thing. And so in, in, in one sense here that I, I feel like Stephen didn't talk about like, well, you know, what they're saying and, and accusing him of what he says. And he wasn't saying that, oh, well, um, you know, we, we don't, we no longer need to go temple and, and then going against everything they're saying. He, he was bringing in the sacrifice of Jesus, right? And we understand that truth. But what they did and what we see in verse 11 is they took that truth and twisted it. They twisted it and it was all to accomplish their own agenda to get rid of Stephen. They made it sound like Oh, Stephen guys and, and the believers there, they're, they're, they're going against the God we worship. They're, they're starting an insurrection and revolution here. and they're, they're, It's not right. It's against the truth. That's, that's how they are coming against Stephen and really the other believers in Jerusalem. And that's what, you guys, slander does. That's why I say that that Satan, well, he came back in with this persecution, but not to stop, but he used slander to get everybody uh, on the bandwagon, those unbelievers. John Calvin says, No greater injury can be inflicted upon men than to wound their reputation. So you see what's going on here. Here, in the council, verse 13, they set up false witnesses and said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. Again, look, he's put, they're putting down the, our temple. They're putting down the law. For we had heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Again, Jesus is the one to talk about fulfilling the law, that he didn't come to take it away, but to fulfill it. And so Stephen, in the same way, was just bawling and saying what the Holy Spirit was giving him to say. But these guys were twisting it. So what I want you to see here is with Stephen, we see his powerful comprehension. His powerful comprehension. And it could not be opposed but with slander. That's all they could do here. They couldn't come against his wisdom, his comprehension of the scriptures, how he handled it all, how he gave it, how he preached it, how he could interpret it, how he could say about Jesus fulfilling it, how the law and the old covenant works into the new covenant. They could not go against that. So the only thing that they could is to twist it and then to slander, slander, Stephen, and to put him down like, no, he's doing this. He's a bad guy. That's basically what they're saying. He's saying unholy things about our temple. He's an evil guy. That's what they're basically saying. So his powerful comprehension of the scriptures, they could not be op op opposed to, they couldn't oppose that, but only with the slander. I saw a cartoon, a wife, in this drawing of this cartoon, the wife was looking at her husband, standing by her husband, and her, her husband was sitting in a chair in front of a TV. And the husband sitting in front of the TV was covered in all this dirt and mud, as a cartoon would 
try and show. So the wife says in the caption, where did all the mud come from? The husband replies, election campaign. Isn't that true, right? We, we talk about mud slinging, right, in campaigns. Um, we're, we're coming up, right, as we get closer now into these elections. I was reading uh, who's jumping in, in in the presidential campaign now and um, what happens, yeah? Well, after a while, right, mud slinging happens. Uh, one candidate tries to discredit the other candidate by slinging this mud, twisting things, maybe what they said, twisting things in, in, in what, what they've done in the past or take some incident and making it out into this huge thing. And maybe sometimes it, it actually happened, but sometimes we see if you can't find something, you're going to just take something little and t- twist it and make it into something big, basically throwing mud. That's what slander is. That's what's happening here. We recognize this, right? We talked about this Sunday. When, 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 listen, recognize this. When the enemy can't get to you with, with things against you or try and uh, get at you because you're and he can't get to you because your faith is so strong and you stand on the word and the promises, you know what? He's going to come around twist things with slander and try and persecute you. When the enemy resorts to slander, you know what? Understand it's going to happen because you're preaching the truth of Christ. So recognize that. This, what is happening to Stephen, can happen to us also. His comprehension, they couldn't oppose it, but only with slander. So Stephen, he's unknown, but not unimportant. We see his powerful character. We see his powerful comprehension. And now we come to the very last verse tonight. His powerful countenance. His powerful countenance. Look at verse 15 now. And gazing at him, All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, this is huge, you guys. Okay, at this point now, they brought him before the council. They're having this hearing. There are all these false accusations and slanderous things are being said and of what he said, of how evil he is, how wrong he is, how how what he's saying is so blasphemous against God and Moses, right? So all that's been going on. Now at this point, they gazing at him. The word gazing is like they're, they're staring at him. Everyone in this council room, 70 plus people are in there and here's Stephen standing before them. And they see something like never before. They see here in verse 15, the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. His face was like shining with the glory of heaven. Here is Stephen now, understand this, without saying a word, just his face like shining with the glory of God rebuked everything they had said about him, everything that they accused him of. All the slander was rebuked 
with just him standing there and them seeing the glory of God coming off his face. Remember, they're calling him he a blasphemer. They're basically saying he's evil. He's an evil, evil guy saying these things against the temple, against the, the, the Moses, the law, everything. But then his face was holy. See, God put that glow of his presence, God's presence upon his face against all the slander that was going on and, and being thrown at him, against all that mud. Now, why is that? Why would God do that? Why would Stephen be standing there against all this that was being thrown at them, not saying a word at this moment, he will in the next chapter, but at this moment, just his face glowing. Why would God do that? Well, do you remember back in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, when Moses came down from the mountain, what happened? His face glowed, right? His face was glowing. In, in Exodus, right, he would come down with the, the tablets, the law. After being with God, his face just shined. Well, think about this. Here Stephen is talking about the new covenant, right? And his face is shining that glory of God. It's validating the truth that he's been testifying to. It's like God saying, you accuse him of going against Moses, but it's not true. Because like Moses, his face is going. And that means what he's saying is true. And if you're going against that, you're going against the Lord. It's like God is saying, you know, I've approved of Moses, the tablets. Well, you know, now I've approved of Stephen and his testimony of salvation in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's God validating what Stephen was saying in a Jewish way, in a way that they would understand. They talked about Moses and Moses, you're going against Moses. No, here's Stephen holding the truth of Jesus Christ glowing like Moses. So on Stephen, we see his powerful countenance was the glory of God. It was a powerful countenance. It, it, it was a statement. It was God using that face of an angel, that glow, yeah, that just without any words, before he says anything, God is saying, I'm with him. That God is in him. And what he's saying, what he's been saying and preaching is of God. I read about two old gold prospectors. They struck, it, struck a very rich mine. And so they said to one another, we, we got it made. As long as we don't tell anyone, it's all ours. They vowed to each other to keep it a secret. And they went to town for provisions. But when they returned, there was all these other people there, all these other prospectors. You, you know what happened? Though they didn't say a word, it was all written all over their faces. <laughs> That's that same idea. So you see, you may face opposition. You may face slander. You may face someone saying something about you, but 
you may not always need to say words because on your face will be God, be Jesus, will be the truth. What's all over your face? Is it easy to read? Is it more of a frown? Is it emotionless? I want it for me to be shining Jesus Christ. I remember my sister saying one time, oh, every time uh, you see Pastor Chuck smile, it's like you see God coming out. You know, and I thought, that's so true. It's so true. I thought, oh, Lord, will you feel me like that? So as we come to a close, you guys, you, you, you don't have to, like, be some famous leader, you know. You don't have to be some top person. I'll tell you, like, Stephen, God uses extra, you know, or ordinary people to do extraordinary, extraordinary things. I think Stephen was just like you and I. But he was full of the Spirit. And then God put his grace upon him and he, God just used him more and more. And it's all through the Holy Spirit. And let me say again, how you measure, measure things in heaven is different from the world. You may feel like, oh, the world uh, looks at me as not successful or not really important, but n- not with God, not with heaven. As long as you fulfill the call of God in your life, you're important. You're, you're key in his plan that he's put together. You're, God has taken you and placed you wherever you're at, work or, or your marriage or school or wherever that is. And you're, you're, you're integral. You're, you're, you're not insignificant. You're significant. You're important to what God is doing there. And we have to understand that. Maybe no one will ever know your name, you know, um, hundred years from now. But that doesn't matter. God does. Because God has a plan for your life. I'll close with this. Actually, let me ask this question. Has anyone heard, or have you ever heard, of Edward Kimball? Maybe some of you have. Edward Kimball. Well, he was a Sunday school teacher who in 1858 led a 17-year-old Boston shoe clerk to Jesus Christ. And you know who that shoe clerk was? I've told this story before, if you've been around. It was D- Dwight L. Moody. And Dwight L. Moody be- ended up becoming one of the greatest evangelists in the world, really. He's an American evangelist here. He's like... Like the Greg Lories of his time. He, uh, they say he shared Jesus with over 100 million people. Awesome. Yeah. Edward Kimball. God used him to bring Dwight L. Moody to Jesus Christ. God specifically had Edward Kimball to bring D.L. Moody to this place so God would use him in a great way. And that's how I see Stephen. You know, we're going to see that Saul was there partaking in the martyrdom of Stephen. 
And I believe Paul heard the gospel. He was there. He heard Stephen preach. And I believe Stephen was a key part in Paul coming to be saved. And then look how God used Paul. Well, the story doesn't end there. Moody powerfully influenced a London pastor named F.B. Meyer, who then led Wilbur Chapman to Jesus. Chapman also powerfully led a guy named Billy Sunday, who became a powerful evangelist during his time, who then, in his witness, led a guy named Mordecai Ham to come to be saved in Jesus Christ. And Mordecai Ham ended up in his evangelism to lead a young, na- a young man named Billy Graham to Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? It all started with this guy we don't really know, Edward Kimball. Who's that? Someone, some no-name, you know? But look the result through all the years and the ages, yeah? That it started with him, D.L. Moody, F.B. Meyer, Wilbur Chapman, then Chapman to Billy Sunday, Billy Sunday to Mordecai Ham, and then Billy Graham got saved. You know what they say? Uh, uh, that with Billy Graham and his ministry, 2.2 billion people heard the gospel. And I would say it goes all the way back to Edward Kimball. Amazing. So you see, though you maybe never heard of Edward Kimball, maybe we don't know too much about Stephen in the book of Acts. You know what? God can use you and I in ways that we don't even understand. Influencing our kids, bringing someone to Christ. Who knows how God will use that person? Who knows down the chain what's going to happen in all of this? So don't stop what God has called you to do. Don't give up. Keep doing, no matter what. Don't listen to what people say or they may put you down in or, or the, what, how the world might define success or what, whatever that means. But success is being obedient to God. Success is fulfilling the calling that God gave you. That's success, no matter what. And so we'll join the ranks of Edward Kimball, Stephen here in the book of Acts, and you and I, we may be unknown, but not unimportant. Let's pray. How encouraging this is, dear Lord, that you use each one of us. I guess, I, God, I think about It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> the Christmas movie. But it, it, I think about how one man there can affect a whole town. And Lord, we may not do that. But we want to be the one person that affects our family, our kids maybe. We want to be the one person that affects someone at work. We want to be the one person that affects maybe a neighbor, a friend, uh, someone we do sports or hobbies with. God, we want to be used by you and fulfill the calling, God, you have on our lives. Lord, we may feel like we were nothing, but we all have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And as believers, God, you have called us to share the gospel, to share you, Lord, to be a light. And so I pray, God, that you would give us, Lord, your Holy Spirit to do that. 
that as we are full of faith in you and understanding how you work and knowing the truth in the Bible of who we are, Lord, that you give us grace, your daily grace, every day to do your work, God, to serve you, God, to be that light. I pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint our lives and fall upon us and fill us and empower us to be and do and, and, and share your gospel, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us, God, to not succumb to slander or discouraging things that happen with the enemy trying to stop us, Lord. But you would help us to keep our eyes on why we're here. What's our purpose? What are we about, Lord? And God, may you, through your spirit, be a powerful testimony and affect affect lives around this Lord God we may never be in a book a hundred years from now a biography someone talks about or preaches about or reads we may never be like those great missionaries and saints Lord but God that doesn't mean we're unimportant We may be unknown, but it doesn't mean we're unimportant, God. It's all for your glory anyway. But thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us, Lord. So may we stick to our calling. May we find that calling. May we live it out, God, no matter what, Lord. And may it be done for you, Jesus, so that people come to be saved in you there's such a lost world around us lord time is short and how we need to truly god do all that we can so let us learn from stephen tonight the unknown doesn't mean unimportant in jesus name amen